Well, good morning, North Roanoke. It's good to be with you here on this Sunday morning. And we are continuing in our series through the book of 1 John. And we're covering a lot of ground this morning. Verse 14 of chapter 4, continuing all the way through verse 12 of chapter 5. Before we get there, I'll give you a, give you a moment to turn. I want to make a few announcements this morning. The first of which is that uh, you need to mark your calendars quite a bit in the month of May. Uh, May here is going to be an unusual May. Uh, starting with today, we're praying around Northside at 4.30. Please be there. There's a prayer guide available online. You go to nrbc.org. You click the picture that's got North, Pray Around Northside on it. It'll take you to a web page on our website with a file that you can download. And if you have a smartphone, you can... Access the prayer guide right there and pray through the prayer guide with us beginning at 4.30. Also, we're going to have a basketball camp this year. That's not in May. Uh, it's coming up in June, I believe. Is that correct? July, the end of July, 18th through the 21st. Uh, if you want to get your discounted pricing, though, here's the relationship to May. you got to do it by May 13th. First child's $100 and any other kid in your household, you can't go grab a neighbor's kid, Right? Any kid that belongs to you in your household, sign them up in their half price, the additional children. And then the rates go up on May the 13th. That's going to be a great use of our gym, a great opportunity to minister to children and share the gospel with them and also build up their skills in a great game called basketball, an American invention, by the way. Uh, in addition, May the 13th is the deadline for that. May the 14th starts a really awesome weekend of celebrating the gift that God has given us in Pastor Daryl Krim and his bride, Susan, right? Are you ready for that? So the cat's out of the bag. They know. Uh, we've been trying to keep it from him for as long as we could, but he's going to be preaching that day, so somebody had to tell him. And um, so we're looking forward to, to hearing a charge from our pastor, which... There's a lot going on right now, so it, pardon this commercial, but we're going to try to finish 1 John next week so that we can hear what God wants to say to us through our pastor of 30 years next week, and then we'll dive into our next series the week thereafter. You tracking with that? And so we're not done on the 15th, Pastor, by the way. Uh, on the 22nd, which is the following Sunday, are you writing these things down? May 13th is the deadline for basketball camp. 14th and 15th, we're having a great weekend to celebrate Pastor Daryl and his bride Susan. And then on the 22nd, the party doesn't stop. In fact, it continues because what has Daryl told us to do for 30 years? He's told us to help unconnected people, people who don't know the Lord, to make the connection with Christ. So we're going we're gonna to talk about Daryl and Susan. We're going to hear him preach. We're going to celebrate together as a family on the 14th and 15th. But it really wouldn't be a complete celebration of the life and legacy and ministry of Pastor Daryl if we didn't do something to celebrate what God's done through him to try and engage people who aren't connected yet. So we're going to take the 22nd from 4 to 7 o'clock and we're going to have a blowout party right in our parking lot, weather permitting. We're going to have food trucks and bounce houses, and games, and cotton candy. And here's the point. We want all of you to come and bring your kids, and your grandkids, and your in-laws, and your outlaws. And we also want you to grab some invites that are going to be available at the end of the service. And invite everybody you can. We'll very soon be putting this on our Facebook page and on our website. But I'd love to have a thousand people here. 
just rejoicing in the goodness of God and giving us a, pa a pastor who's run the race well for 30 years. So I know that took a little bit of time this morning, but I wanted to make sure you had all that down. May is a very busy month for a very good reason. So please note that on your calendars. Now, having said that, you should have found your way to 1 John chapter 4, and you should be at verse 14. So let's consider God's word together. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. Can I pause there for just a moment? Did you see what it just said in verse 9? What is God's testimony? His testimony is that he has once for all testified. So why do we come to the scriptures and study it week after week after week as if there's nothing new that God has for us other than what he's given? Because that's what he just said. The testimony of God is that he has testified about his son. Verse 10. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to know in these few minutes to come how it is that you have overcome the world and how it is that we can be overcomers with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's sermon I've titled, Assured of Victory. The word victory or overcome, it's the same word 
in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 5. It occurs four times in two verses. John wants us to have the assurance that we have victory in Christ. I want to ask you a question. Does anybody remember the days when not everybody got a trophy? You know what I'm talking about? You, You know, when you played, you showed up on the ball field because you wanted to win. And even though the coach said the obligatory, all that really matters is that you do your best, you knew just as well as every other kid and the coach who said it, you wanted to win the ball game. What the coach really was saying is, let's go whoop up on some people. Let's, let's go win this game. Let's go dominate. I'm talking about that bygone era when people would say coming in second place just makes you the first loser. Or as Jake reminded, Pastor Jake reminded me this week, as Ricky Bobby said in Talladega Nights, if you're not first, you're last. <laughs> Sometimes I miss those days. I, I miss the days of people wanting to win. Of course, I am grateful that we want to encourage everyone, and I'm especially grateful that we want to encourage children of all skill levels, regardless of their background or what challenges that they may face. But I do miss the will to win in our culture, that gut visceral instinct, the desire to conquer and to overcome and to dominate, the days when in the NFL, defensive backs could actually play defense. And it was hard to throw a a pass to a receiver because it was hard for a receiver to be open. Each of us understands at some level this desire to win and it's a good desire that we have that's expressed on the football field or the basketball court the will to win why because this will to win points us to an ultimate reality that will to win is actually something that God has given you that points to something more ultimate and more supreme and what is that there is going to be a day in which you will either win or you will lose There is going to be a day when you will be victor or you will be vanquished. When you wake up every day, the question John is posing to us is, do you wake up assured of the victory that you can only have in Christ? And here's the reality. On that day, when we see our Savior face to face, when we see King of kings and Lord of lords, we will either be victorious or we will not. And if we are going to have the assurance of his victory. There's three things John shows us in this text. First, we must understand the basis of salvation. We've got to understand the basis of salvation, what it's predicated upon. Secondly, we must remain in God's love. And third, we must have a dynamic faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. First, we've got to understand the basis of our salvation, which is God's salvation. It's a gift from God. Now, some of you this morning, you're here, you're curious, you're interested, but you're not so sure you even need saving. I'm just a little sinner. I haven't killed anybody. But saying that we only have a little bit of sin is like saying I only accidentally put a little bit of anthrax in my coffee this morning. It it pollutes the whole thing. One sin is all it takes to pollute the heart and distance it from a holy God who has no part with sin. And until we see the terrible depth of our sinfulness, we cannot see the infinite worth of the Savior who rescues sinners. Nothing less than a holy God could deliver us from the offense that we have committed against that same holy God. And once we get our minds around that, that's a good start. 
But then the question is, how is it that I can be delivered? How is it that I can be rescued or victorious? And we must understand how it is that God saves. John has been returning to this theme again and again and again. In chapter 2, he points us to Jesus, who is what? Our advocate. How is he our advocate? He comes and stands in our defense, not because of our righteousness, but because he is Christ the righteous. John here tells us in verses 14 and 15 essentially the same thing. We can be saved because of who Jesus is and because what God has done in Jesus. Who is Jesus? Look at verse 14. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Did you know those little two words, to be, actually aren't even in the, in the text? The Father sent Son, Father sent Jesus, comma, Savior of the world. His very name is salvation. He is the one crucified before the foundation of the world. And in verse 15, we confess that he is Son of God, the eternal Son of God, co-creator of the universe, infinitely holy and qualified Because he was there at the beginning in the garden breathing life into souls. He is the one who was qualified to breathe new life into the dead souls of fallen humanity and rescue them and give them his victory. John says we've seen it. We have seen. The word seen here means to look at something with the intent to understand. Have you ever looked at something For a long period of time until you understand it. You've scoped it out until you've internalized it. That's what John is saying. It's like studying for an exam. He says, I looked at the Old Testament. I looked at this man named Jesus. I looked at the cross. I saw the resurrection. And I looked and I have seen who Jesus is. He is Savior of the world. And the word is written in such a way that John is saying, what I have seen, I can never unsee. Do you follow that? Jesus is Savior of the world. Stop. I can't stop seeing Jesus as Savior of the world. So the question this morning is, is can you unsee Jesus as Savior of the world? If you're looking for another Savior other than Jesus, if you can unsee Jesus, if you can move past an understanding of Jesus as Savior of the world, you've never actually seen the Jesus of the Bible to begin with. It is this, it is this Jesus... To whom John and the apostles keep on testifying, verse 14. And it is through this Jesus that God brings deliverance. How does he do it? Verse 14, the father sends the son. Back up in verse 13, he gives us of his spirit. And in the giving of his spirit, he miraculously applies the saving work of Christ to our sinful hearts. And then look at verse 15, God abides in us. He makes our hearts capable of an ongoing relationship with him. To abide is to remain or to live or to settle somewhere. So what is the basis of our salvation? The basis of our salvation is not our ascent to God. We didn't somehow wake up one morning and go, you know, I just need more God in my life. We didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm just going to will myself in some sort of new age process to be more God-like. The The basis of our victory is not our ascent to God, but God's descent to us in Christ. The basis of our victory is not our will to win, but it is God's victory over sin through Jesus, his incarnate son. And the basis of our victory is not our giftedness. 
It's not as if we brought something to the table. God looked down and saw something amazing in you. What God saw in you was your sin. And he saw the only way to get your sin out of you was to send his son and make you new. It's not our giftedness that saves us. It is God's gift to us in Jesus, the very love of God. Which brings us to our second point. If we're going to be assured of the victory that we have in God first, we've got to understand the basis of our salvation. But second, we must remain in his perfect love. We must remain or abide in his perfect love. Can, can I tell you something? Verses 16 and 17 have, have been a struggle for me this week. A, a fascinating, delightful struggle. Because the truth in verse 16 and 17 really demands a sermon all their own. Look, look at what John says in verse 16. We have come to know and have believed. In other words, it's an assurance that's not going to leave us. What? The love which God has for us. Now, the word for there is actually the Greek word that means in, but all the translations that I read somehow use for instead of in. But the, what John is trying to say here is there's a love among us that you can't find anywhere else. That God's love is expressed in the corporate fellowship in a way that you won't find it anywhere else in the universe. The local church is a part of God's plan for you to know and experience and to believe his love. And then look what John does in the second sentence of verse 16. He moves from us to the one. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And then look at the first sentence of 17. By this, love is perfected with, what's that word? Does it say you or us? It's perfected with us. So there's this internal and this external aspect of the love of God. God working his love into our hearts for expression outwardly in his community. Now, we've got to remember the context here. People are leaving the church over doctrinal disputes. And the people in the church are starting to wonder, what's wrong with me? Did I do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? And John goes, it's not you. We've come to know and believed the love that God has among us. And God, no doubt, has a love that he works into your heart. But God's love also finds its expression in the local church. So, so bear with me just for a moment. I, I've written this out so many times, and I think I finally got it late last night. When God saves us, he saves us into a community of saints, the local church, for the purposes of giving and receiving his love. And a key way, church, that we keep on abiding in God is we keep on abiding in his love, verse 16. But how do we abide in God's love? Is it just some sort of mystical turning on the radio, listening to a I don't know, a Gaither song from way back when and having a healing feeling down deep in your heart? No, there's more to it. We abide in the love of God by abiding in Christ. And we abide in Christ by abiding in his body, his local church. We bring our talents and our treasures and our gifts and our, yes, our sorrows and burdens and our hurts into this family called the local church. And get this, when we do that, we are abiding in the love of God. When you bring your love here and you exchange the giving of love here, when we bear one another's burdens 
in the context of the church, we are abiding in the love of God and also supernaturally, we are abiding in God himself who is love. When we are loving Christ's body, we're loving Christ himself. And the local church is one of the primary places we have the opportunity to let God be God and surrender to his lordship. Did you know, I know for 30 years, Everything that's happened at North Roanoke Baptist Church, you've all approved of and liked. Daryl has never made a mistake in the last 30 years of his ministry. And, and, and here's the reality. That's about ready to end. I'm going to make some mistakes. I'm going to do some things that you don't like. I don't know what they are yet. Um, if I did, I'd tell you. Um, there's going to be some programs that we don't start because... The deacons and the pastor, we, we don't feel that's the best direction for North Roanoke. There's some other things we're going to start because we think, you know what, God might use this to reach a community. And you know what, they're going to fail miserably. It's not going to work. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to try again. But here's what John is saying. In the context of a church that is trying and ministering and laboring and working, that church is always going to be an imperfect church. There's always going to be something that makes you potentially mad or frustrated or cross that's not going to hit you just right. But John is saying that milieu of the imperfect church is the very place that you can experience the perfect love of God. When you can surrender your preferences over to the benefit of the local church and say, I'm going to let God be God, I'm going to trust him in this, and I'm going to lay down my pride and my preferences, and I'm going to love the brethren, and I'm going to watch what Jesus does. That is what John is talking about when we abide in the love of God. And it is, look at verse 17, by this through this convergence of the inward love of God and the outward life of the Christian that God has perfected once and for all his love with us. Verse 18, his love is called perfect love. His perfect love is perfected at the intersection of a Christ-indwelled follower of Christ living in community with imperfect vessels who are just trying to follow after Christ. That's where you can know the perfect love of God. So here's a question. How do I know that I got that love? How do I know if I'm remaining in the love of God? To, to remain means to abide or to live or to dwell somewhere. Many of you know I've been living in my in-law's house since the end of October. God help me. <clears throat> They're in the first service, so it's okay. But this will be on the internet later, won't it, Jake? Okay, great. Um, what my in-laws would tell you is there are some evidences of the fact that the Palmers have showed up. We've probably run 7,000 loads of laundry more than they would have over this last period of five or six months. We have used a whole lot more hot water. I like a really hot shower. And the reality is this, wherever the Palmers are, there's noise. My, my, my wife and precious two kids are out of town today for a birthday party in Raleigh, North Carolina. And can I tell you that the solitude that I experienced yesterday was, it was like a gift from heaven. <laughs> now, I'm not going to lie, I miss, I miss my bride and I miss my kids, but whoo, it was great. <laughs> So here's what John tells us 
Do you really have the love of God that you're abiding in, that is in your heart and that's overflowing outwardly? There's three ways we can know, three markers or indicators or evidences that we're living in the love of God. First, he asks this question in verse 17 and 18. Am I confident when I think about the day of judgment? Am I confident when I think about judgment day? Because that's the basis of overcoming. If you have confidence in that day, you can have confidence in anything. I don't know about you, but, but when things are good in the home and, and you know the love of your wife and your wife knows the love of you, you can go to the office and have a bad day. You could even have an, a car accident. A lot of bad stuff can happen in your life, but you know, if you know when at the end of the day you come home, you're coming home to a wife or a husband that loves you, that conquers just about everything. You're looking forward to the end of the day of being together. And you know that if the home is good, everything else is good. So too it is in our marriage, if you will, with Jesus. If we know that Christ loves us and that we've experienced his love and we're in this dynamic relationship of giving and receiving his love in the body of Christ, we can face anything. We're not assured of anything. I'm not assured that I will still have breath by the time I finish this sermon. I may not even finish this sermon. We're not assured that Christ isn't going to come back before we go pray at Northside at 4.30. We don't have that assurance. But here's the deal. If we have confidence in the day of judgment, we can have confidence in anything. If you've got confidence before a holy God that you can stand before a holy judge and say, Christ has redeemed my life, you can have confidence in anything. Well, what's another indicator that we've remained in the love of God? John raises this question in verse 19 all the way down through verse 3 of chapter 5. And it's essentially this. Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ with a love that's like God's love? Well, how has God loved? He's given up his preference. He's given up his prerogatives. He gave up his very life to rescue us. Are we actively, proactively seeking ways to give ourselves up so that the body of Christ will thrive? And then here's a third indicator, verse 3. Are the demands of God burdensome? John says this, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. All the exhorting to love our brothers and keep God's commandments throughout the book of 1 John, it might just seem like it's too much. Uh, Some of you are list keepers. Do any of you make lists? My mom was a master list keeper. I I wish I could have every list she'd ever written through her whole life. I mean, it would be her whole life in diary form. It's the list. And some of you, some of you like to make a list. And if, if you're reading 1 John in that way, you're missing the point. If you're reading it as a bunch of checklists, man, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to make sure I check every box. And it feels heavy and burdensome and weighty and like the list will never go away from you. Then consider for a moment that you may not yet have encountered the burden lifting love of God. God doesn't lay upon you any expectation that he doesn't empower you to fulfill. Jesus is not like the Pharisees who tied up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders while they themselves were unwilling to move them with even so much as a finger. God has given us in Christ what we could not give ourselves. He has taken our burden. So the question this morning is, is the command of God to love Jesus and to love the brethren a burden or is it as it should be a delight? If you can face the judgment with confidence. 
If you are compelled to love the brethren and to love Christ himself, rest assured, you're remaining in God's love. Be assured of his victory. Finally, if we are going to be assured of the victory that God has for us, we must have a dynamic faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading through 1 John and I come to verse 4 of chapter 5, I'm surprised by what John says. All this talk about covenant keeping and commandment keeping and loving our neighbor. And what does John say in verse 4? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our love, our obedience, our faith. That which fuels the love and the obedience and the care for the body of Christ is, is our faith in Christ. Where does this victory come from? It comes from our faith, not my personal private faith, not Daryl's personal private faith. Our faith singular. There is a faith that has been given once for all, delivered to the saints, and it is a faith that is in Jesus Christ. Christ And John asked this question in verse 5. Who is the one who is overcoming the world if it's not the one who's believing in Jesus, the Son of God? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is nobody. If you can exercise active, ongoing faith in Christ and you still don't have victory, then nobody can have victory because Christ is the overcomer. So John explains that this faith in verses 6 through 9 he explains that this faith is an objective faith. There's a faith in a particular Jesus that we must exercise in order to have his victory. And he goes on to tell us that Jesus came by water and by blood. Now, what in the world does that mean? The, the reference to Jesus coming by water reminds us of John's gospel where three times he tells us John came by water and in all three instances it's a reference to the baptism of John do you remember what happened to Jesus when he was baptized by John who came and rested on him like a dove the Holy Spirit of God and so the people who've left John's church they've left the church say sure Jesus had the Holy Spirit, and he baptized in the Holy Spirit, but then his flesh died, and we got the Spirit from him, but we don't need the Jesus. We've moved on to the age of the Spirit. We don't need that Jesus stuff anymore. And what John is saying is, no, he didn't come just by water with the Holy Spirit. He also came by blood. And in our, our time of singing this morning, we sang about the blood. How is it that we have overcome the world? How is it that we have overcome the enemy? We have overcome not just because he's given us his spirit, but because he poured out his blood. There is no victory without the blood of Christ. The cross is not something that was just done to Jesus. The cross is something that Jesus did for us. And notice what John says in 6, 7, and 8. The Spirit himself echoes this testimony. The gospel that we hear externally with our ears on Sunday morning is resounding like an echo chamber in our heart. The Spirit should be saying, yes, that Jesus is the one that saved me. That Jesus is the one who delivered me. The one who gave me his, his blood that I did not deserve. So the receiving, get this, the receiving of the Holy Spirit is pointless without Jesus' provision for you at the cross. And the provision of Jesus at the cross is pointless if you do not receive 
the Spirit. John goes on to tell us that God himself is giving us this testimony. And the testimony of God is greater than that of men. Can I tell you something? I love my son. And for the first eight to ten months of his life, I thought my son was probably going to die. We took him to doctor after doctor. And we got referred to therapist after therapist. And I couldn't get my boy to eat and keep it, keep it down. And when I tell you about my son, I can't explain it fully, but when I tell the story about my son and how God delivered him and, and now he's five and he's finally starting to gain a little bit of weight, when I get a personal aside with you and I tell you the whole story, I tell you that in such a way that I don't want you to just have it in your head. Oh, that was a cool story. Nice, nice story. I tell you that story in such a way that I want you to feel it in your soul. In some way, I want you to feel a little bit of our journey. And I want you to feel a little bit about my son the way I feel about my son. How much more? The God of the universe who testifies to us that he sent his son to die for us. How much more does he want you to feel about his son the way the father feels about his son? And that's what God has done when he pours out his Holy Spirit. It says in verse 10, we have this testimony, not just out here, not just Daniel preaching, but the spirit of God comes and resonates in our heart. This son is my only hope and that is our faith. And some of you this morning have been going through the motions of church for your entire life. You've checked off the church attendance box, but you have not checked off this box. Jesus Christ belongs to me. It's not just that I'm hearing about him out there, but he belongs to me in here. And the testimony of God is resounding in my heart that I have no hope save that Jesus saves and he has saved me. If you have faith in Jesus, the Son of God, if you have saving faith, it's because the Spirit has come to you and you have internalized God's testimony about His one and only Son. And if you have the Son of God, you have realized now that you have eternal life. Colin Cruz says this, eternal life is not an unending extension of life as we know it. Rather, it is having Jesus Christ himself. And the question for us this morning is, do you have Christ? Because if you have Christ, you have overcome. If you have Christ, you have true victory. And having true victory is having Christ the Son.